Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to the episode of today. So today I want to be focusing on manipulation, but more than just talking about manipulation, I want to give you specifically five ways that you can become harder to manipulate. So basically you make it more difficult for other people to manipulate you. You put yourself in more of a position of power. You have more control over your own actions and your decisions and your thoughts and how you take responsibility for certain things and when you don't take responsibility for certain things. Okay. So there's so much to talk about when it comes to manipulation, but specifically I want to be speaking about these five things today. So before we get into the topics of today, um, I do want to go over a little like life update, actually a little anecdote that happened to me that I thought would be worthy of talking about and discussing with you guys. Well, not really discussing because it's just me talking to you, not really a discussion, but I think it's worthy to kind of break down what occurred and just talk about it. And I do also have a brain fact for today as well. So what happened to me earlier today? I actually met up with a good friend of mine. Um, we did a Pilates class and then we went out for coffee and she's like, the weirdest thing happened to me a few weeks ago. It was so strange. And I was like, what? She's like, this is around the time when you were like in Europe um, or Bali and I get this DM from somebody and I'm guessing that like she follows you or she listens to your podcast. Basically, the DM was that this girl was messaging my friend and she had said, look, I don't know, like, you know, I just saw something that I wasn't sure about and I thought I'd just message you. Um, basically, I think she was in Bali. Well, she was would have been in Bali. And she saw Tyrone, my partner, at a restaurant with a bunch of other girls. I think she said like a group of girls or three other girls or whatever it was. Um, and she said that, you know, he looks really chummy with them. He was very affectionate with them. And she says, I would not be okay with this behavior. I even went on Alexis's page and I checked if they were still together and they are. She wasn't there. I just thought I'd give you the heads up because she should know. So basically this person seen Tyrone at a restaurant with a bunch of girls and thought, straight off the bat that this behavior was completely inappropriate and said, quote, I would not be okay with that behavior. I would not be okay with that. Okay. Now, firstly, the first question is what behavior? And secondly, not okay with what aspect of this supposed behavior? Okay. Because obviously this comment and message was a reflection of the standards for what they find appropriate. And then they've gone ahead and shared that opinion and put their judgment on that opinion and then passed it on to a friend of mine. And Sarah's kind of like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this information? You know, like good on fucking Tyrone for being out to dinner. My thing is, guys, please, 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 please. I beg of you, have an open mind because if you have an issue with your partner going out to dinner with three of your mutual girlfriends, if you've got an issue with that, you're going to be met with many, many, many disappointments in your life and a whole lot of suffering in your life. If that is what you are worrying about and if that is what is unacceptable in your eyes, you are going to suffer a lot, can I just say, a lot, okay? Because Firstly, I'd actually be quite sad if Tyrone was not able to hold a conversation with a group of females, thrilled that he can be out to dinner with a bunch of friends. Not that it's relevant, but those girlfriends are also my girlfriends. Not that it matters. He could go out with a bunch of girlfriends that are only his friends and not mine. Wouldn't make a difference. I love that he loves hanging around with all and any of our friends, female, male, non-binary. And keep in mind that at the same time that he's out in Bali enjoying this dinner with these girlfriends of ours, I'm on the other side of the world in Paris alone living my best life, you know. So it's like every relationship is different. Everyone's got their standards for whatever. But 
I find it really interesting that and sad in a way slash not just in a way, in every way, that someone can look at somebody who is in a relationship, enjoying a dinner out with females and think that behaviour is unacceptable, that is inappropriate to the extent that I'm going to go and tell, well, maybe not his girlfriend, but I'm going to tell his girlfriend's, one of his girlfriend's best friends, you know. So, like, obviously it was that jarring to witness for this person. So, obviously, you know, we've, myself and this person have very different standards for what is and is not acceptable, right? And she was saying that, like, Tyrone was getting cosy, Tyrone gets cozy with his barista. He gets he hugs every security guard in our building. You know what I mean? Like so. Anyway, regardless, while I appreciate the sentiment behind the message, I also do feel bad for someone to interpret my partner being out to dinner with three women as a bad thing. You know, saying that that behavior is not okay. I do really think that's sad and kind of like what has society come to if that's a bad thing? You know, if dating someone means that you have to edit who you're hanging out with, then you are dating a walking red. Flag. I can tell you that for free. While I while I appreciate the sentiment behind this person's message, thinking that they are doing me a favour, I genuinely believe that if this person is in a relationship, they are a red flag. You, the person dating you, will suffer unless they have no friends. In which case, none the wiser. They're not going to suffer. Good on them. Do you know what I'm saying? But if you think that that's inappropriate, who the fuck? If you have a partner, is your partner hanging out with who, and when? You know, like. Tyrone could go out for dinner with his ex-girlfriend and I wouldn't care. As long as there's transparency between the, the couple, there is not much that I would have an issue with. Within the realms of a monogamous relationship, which is what we have and what we've agreed to enter into, so we both are aware that this is a monogamous relationship, um, so anything outside the realm of that, there's not much that I would have an issue with, really. And in summary, before I get onto the brain fact of today, if you have an issue with your partner going out with other women or men, going out with other people, then this is a secondary response to an underlying insecurity. And you have to ask yourself, what is this underlying insecurity? What am I fearful of? And where is this coming from? Is it my past because I've been scarred before and I instantly think, ah, if you're out with someone, with other people of, you know, that are my gender, of the opposite gender, or whatever, people that you deem to be a threat, whatever gender that may be, then I say this is a threat and why? Is it because I've been cheated on in the past? Is it because I've witnessed this in the past and it just raises a lot of fears and terrible emotions for me? Or is it the fact that this person that I'm dating right now has given me so many reasons not to trust them that this is the final straw? You know, ask yourself, why is this the case? Why is it raising all these insecurities? Okay, um, Or it could be a different reason altogether that you would know about that I might not be privy to, okay? But you have to ask yourself this question. This is a secondary response to what? And then ask yourself more questions. Start to deal with it. Is it actually their fault? Is it actually a problem? You know? Um, yeah, anyway, found that really interesting. Thanks for the content for the podcast. Love that so much. Um, let's get on to the brain fact of today. So the brain fact of today is about folic acid and pregnancy. Because you probably hear it all the time in ads about like um, these like prenatal vitamins that you can take and the importance of folic acid, folic acid, blah, 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 blah. Why? Why is it so important? Okay, firstly, folic acid or folate is recommended, highly, highly recommended in the lead up to pregnancy and during pregnancy, but heavily in the lead up to pregnancy because it prevents certain neural defects slash neural tube defects, okay? I'll go into that in a second. So folic acid is a B vitamin, B9. Um, folate is what occurs in food. So we're talking dark green leafy veggies, beans, fresh fruits, seafood, like grains, etc. 
And folic acid is a synthesized version of that. So basically it's man-made and this can be taken as, you know, in vitamin form, in a supplement form, things like that. Now, folic acid, folate, folic acid is needed to make new cells, in particular brain and blood cells. It also helps create DNA and RNA inside the cell nucleus. So it's really beneficial for these things, especially in the, in the initial creation stages of it. So when... Um, when you fall pregnant, of course, when the fetus, when the embryo is beginning, when everything's happening, folic acid is, is quite essential for that. Now, given the role that it plays in brain and spine cells, it's crucial in the formation of the neural tube and the brain in a developing embryo. So what is a neural tube? And what is a neural tube defect? Okay, when you have an embryo at the very, 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 very fucking early stages, we're talking like a couple of weeks in, right? There's basically like this tissue. It's like embryonic tissue without going into detail. And this tissue, imagine it being like a sheet. This tissue begins to fold and it folds into a tube. And when it finishes folding, where the edges connect, well, like two parts of that tissue connect and there's like a tube in between it. Really, I'm literally drawing it out with my hands. <laughs> Google it, guys. Google it. But it's basically a tube. When this tube connects and the whole thing closes properly down the length of the tube, from the top of the tube right down to the bottom of the tube, that occurs around the 28-day mark, pretty accurately around the 28-day mark, okay, of the development of the embryo. Folic acid is what helps that tube close, what all, all these like cells um, getting created, making it close, making it seal. And that tube is later going to form the foundations of the brain and the spinal cord down the whole length of the tube. At the very top, you've got the brain and down the very, very length of the tube, you've got like the tip of the spinal cord. That is what the neural tube develops into, okay? Now, if the neural tube does not close by day 28 or around pretty much, almost pretty much day 28, this is due to lack of folic acid and the baby might be born, is likely to be born with a neural tube defect, Okay, because once the 28 days has passed, it's no longer going to close. It's or around the 28-day mark. It's no longer going to close. That's it. If there's an opening, it's not going to be shut. It's going to remain an opening. Okay. Now, these neural tube defects are known as either spina bifida or anencephaly. You've probably likely heard of spina bifida, and that's what they speak about in commercials. They say take folic acid to you know prevent spina bifida. Anencephaly is not really spoken about that much, especially in commercials, because it is quite more. Uh, it's very like quite graphic and kind of awful to talk about. So they're probably more lean towards the spina bifida side of things. I don't know if it's more common either. I'm not quite sure about the rates of which one is more common. But basically spina bifida is where the tube doesn't close at the bottom and anencephaly is when the tube doesn't close at the top. Okay, In spina bifida, when it's not closing at the bottom, part of the spinal cord actually protrudes out from the lower back of the baby or the fetus. Um, and when the baby is born, they pretty much need surgery um, and it depends to the rate of it. Sometimes it's really, really bad. Sometimes it's like quite mild, but they can have a lot of like nervous system damage, neural damage. Potentially they could have, um, it, it could come down to being, you know, paralyzed in certain parts of the body due to the spinal cord and these nerves that are protruding out of the lower back. Now, in anencephaly, the tube doesn't close at the top, okay? So, because the top is where the brain, the brain and the head is, basically significant parts of the brain and skull just don't form. They don't finish forming whatsoever. So life is not really sustainable. It's not viable at all because there's like maybe half the brain, half the skull. It's just it was never going to 
be able to live. So the baby in this case normally will die before birth, in some cases very soon after birth, and there is no complete brain. Okay, so that's what anencephaly is versus spina bifida. Uh, low levels of um, folic acid or folate also play a role in cleft lip and cleft palate and atrial septum, which is like a hole in the heart that doesn't fully close in the development, okay? Now, the hectic thing is, is that if you're trying to get pregnant, you're probably already aware of this if this is something that you're really, you know, really aware of. You've done your research, you've read up on it, you've heard it on the TV, on all these ads, you know to take folic acid around 400 grams before you fall pregnant every single day. So you're prepared, you, you know, you know what you're doing. But the hectic thing is that if you're not actively trying to fall pregnant and you just fall pregnant, you might not even know that you're pregnant up until the 28-day period for a lot of people. And that is after the neural tube ha- is supposed to have finished closing or, you know, trying to close. So if you start taking it after the 28-day mark, it's not going to assist in the closure of the neural tube. It'll assist in other things. Folic acid is really important for the development of many things, but the neural tube closure, that job's kind of, that's done. It's onto, other, you know, the development's onto other things now. Um, so, yeah, and th- they recommend that 400 grams is before you fall pregnant and then 600 grams, sometimes more, depending on your, like your GP will tell you and depending on your, um, what your personal situation is, but sometimes it's 600 milligrams up to 1,000 milligrams of folic acid um, or folate that you should be taking. Well, folic acid is what they talk about as far as the grams. Folate is what's found within the food. But look, if you've got a very balanced diet and you're eating a lot of those things, you are likely to be fine, hence why a lot of people that don't take folic acid supplements still have perfectly healthy babies. But it is obviously just something to be aware of and a precaution that a lot of people choose to take if they have the opportunity to do so. Okay, let's get into the topic of today. And the topic of today is specifically five ways you can become harder to manipulate. Okay, so before we get into the whole uh, five points that I want to delve into, firstly, sorry, can I just also give a little bit of a disclaimer? I, now you're just going to think about this for the whole thing because I've drawn attention to it, but I've, I'm noticing that my inhales are very dramatic. I'm just getting over a cold and every time I get a cold, my breathing and asthma is like gets a little bit dramatic. Um, I'm fine. I can breathe. It's all good, but it's just very audible. So sorry if I just brought your attention to something that you didn't realize, but that is why I'm not puffed out. Did not just go for a run. Anyway, why, number one, let's talk about why people manipulate because it's important to understand why they manipulate because then when you're in a situation where you're being manipulated, you can not only identify it, but you can think, I understand where this is coming from. And then you're less likely to be emotionally involved in the manipulation and you're able to take a step back, observe what's happening and then act accordingly with a cool and calm mind. That is the point of everything that we're going to be talking about. So why do people manipulate? It is almost always, almost always due to an insecurity. And people that are insecure, not everyone, but a lot of people that are insecure will feel the need to fluff up, pump up their ego, okay? So a lot of the things they do is to pump up their ego and the reason someone needs to pump up their ego is due to an insecurity, okay? Someone who is not insecure does not have this external sense of self that always needs to be kind of flattered and and lifted up, okay? Because they're just chill. They don't give a fuck. They're calm, okay? So these people, they manipulate because they can't do something alone. So they try and get you in a position where you're doing it for them or with them. Uh, They don't want to be responsible for their actions. For example, they'll manipulate you into thinking that you are the cause of the breakup because they're the ones that didn't actually want to pull the pin um, or they didn't want to 
suffer the consequences of their actions, i.e. they're already cheating on you, but then they turned it around and had a big argument and made it look like you're responsible for the breakup when they were just trying to find an easy scapegoat. They didn't want to be the one to break up with you and say, I'm actually, uh, um, you know, I've been unfaithful and now I have to leave you. They don't want to be the bad guy. So they're going to manipulate you into thinking that you fucked up and the reason why it's all fallen apart is because of your actions. When in reality, they had tapped out a long time ago. So that's one of the reasons... Um, like I said, they don't want to suffer the consequences of something, so they'll make you think, they'll manipulate you into thinking, and this could be with a breakup or with many things, into thinking that you were responsible for what went down. Um, they need to protect their ego. It's done to control their partner so they can feel a sense of power. They do it to gain attention, to gain money, success, all of the things that are going to build up their ego and make them feel a false sense of security and um, a, a false sense of self-esteem. Now, when someone is manipulating you, what is the target? They go, obviously, for weaknesses, okay? And people that are seemingly, quote-unquote, weak are the people that, unfortunately, are going to be the target of manipulation a lot more than someone who is strong, okay? It's got nothing to do with intelligence here. It's got to do with where the weaknesses are. That's why a lot of the time it takes you being manipulated and dealing with, with a bad situation or a bad breakup or someone that manipulated you or, or learning the hard way for you to then get that strength and see it coming a mile away, okay? Because a lot of the time it's, it's not easy from the get-go to identify when you're being manipulated, especially if it's emotional manipulation. Emotional manipulation is one of the hardest forms of manipulation to identify because often you already have an emotional bias towards the person that is manipulating you. So you are biased to wanting to only see the good in that person. So when they're trying to get you to do something, you don't interpret it as a manipulation. You interpret it as a need or something that they're doing for you or something that you genuinely did wrong, okay? So that's why it's always harder to identify emotional manipulation if it has not been done to you before. A lot of people have it done to them time and time and time again because they're unaware. And for some people, it takes longer to identify patterns than others. Another reason why you might fall for manipulation, emotional manipulation regularly is because it's with the same person and they know your triggers, they know your weaknesses and they know, they fucking know how to use you, unfortunately, okay? So they're going, these people go for weaknesses, okay? So weaknesses often fall into the category of fears, like uncertainties, personal insecurities, lack of knowledge around a topic, or they can also go for weaknesses such as heightened emotions that will override logic. For example, you being sold something at a much more inflated price because you love it so much and you're so excited. That's what they always say when you go and look at a house or when you go and look at something that you're going to buy, you have to try and act really, don't give anything away. They're always saying don't give anything away because if you show that you love it and you have to have it, boom, they can manipulate you into paying more. Okay, That's a very, very basic example of um, where your heightened emotions override logic and if someone sees that in you, they can use that as a form of manipulating you. But in relationships and in toxic relationships in particular, you're looking more for where you've got lack of knowledge around a topic, personal insecurities around something, insecurities around the relationship, like you think they're going to you know, leave you. That's a big one that they can really um, use to their advantage and just fears in general, okay? These are the main weak spots that someone who wants to manipulate you will go for, okay? And you're going to notice that the people that are less likely to be manipulated are not necessarily the ones that have their walls up, 
but they're the ones that have shown that I'm just less fearless with the situation. I'm less concerned about being alone. If this isn't working for me, I can walk away. A lot of people um, that hate this, and this ties in quite heavily with my recent episode about being lonely versus being alone. Another, another main reason why it's so important to be comfortable being alone is because when you're in a situation in a relationship, people who know that you have no problem and you actually enjoy being single are way less likely to enter into a situation if they think they cannot manipulate you. A toxic person who needs to manipulate their partner to feel good about themselves is going to avoid somebody who loves being single because it is very difficult to manipulate that person. The standard is just too high. The wiggle room is just too little. If, if I'm really trying to manipulate someone and I go up to someone who's fucking living their best life and we enter into a relationship, I only have to fuck up once and they're out of there in a heartbeat, right? I can't turn around and say, oh, but it was your fault, whatever. They're like, don't want to hear it, goodbye. Like they don't care. They're not going to engage. They're not going to let themselves be manipulated. They're like, I don't have time for this shit. I've got better things on the other side. So see ya. That's what's going to happen, okay? So unfortunately, if you're somebody that absolutely hates being single or being alone, you are more at the mercy of these people if you happen to enter a relationship with them. I'm not saying that you're definitely going to get it because you might be dating some great people that just are not manipulating people. So it's definitely not a applies to all case. But if you are someone that doesn't want to be alone or doesn't want to be single and you enter a relationship with someone who's a manipulator, you're fucked basically. No, you're not fucked, but it's it's not going to be pretty. So I want this episode, I want you to listen to these five points so you can really identify it. If you're currently in this situation, um, then it's going to be very easy for you to identify or you can look back retrospectively and think, fuck, and I dated someone like that, okay? So let's get into it. These are the five ways that you can become harder to manipulate. Number one, identify the bait, okay? What is the bait that is being used? If there's someone that manipulates you all the time, it could be your parent, your sibling, someone in your friendship group, an employer, your partner, you will likely see a pattern of behavior. In emotionally abusive relationships, this bait often is, not always, but often is to get you fired up over something small and they'll push and push and push And then finally, they get you to the point where you're so frustrated over this back and forth and what is seemingly a very irrational, pointless argument that you end up snapping because you're frustrated, because you don't understand why this is such a big deal, that you snap, you finally snap. And then they have all the ammunition that they need. That was the bait because you snapped. They get you to snap first and then that's it. Then they can go ham on you, okay? They've they've. They wind you up, wind you up, wind you up, you snap, and then they can unleash. They can be like, how dare you talk to me like that? How dare you you scream at me? How dare you name call me? When all along, that was the aim. And then they say, how dare, how dare, how dare? And what are they doing? They're manipulating you to then apologize, to come crawling back to them, to feel that you are in the wrong. They do that enough. And then every time they do something wrong, you're almost terrified to pull them up on it because they then have this cat and mouse game that they can quickly engage in to get you fired up again and then make the put the blame on you okay so always identify the bait now another thing which is not not no way near as intense as that but another bait could be that somebody is always trying to emotionally blackmail you into feeling responsible or sorry for them and for what they're doing 
So it's somebody that, let's say, every time you talk to your mother, for example, or your father or whatever, a parent, they always say, nobody, nobody ever comes to visit me and I'm all alone. And like, you, you know, I can't, you're like you're leaving me and, you know, you're abandoning me. I feel abandoned and you never come to visit me and you left me. And th-. so it's like every encounter, you're made to feel so guilty And so the manipulation there is that you stay longer, you come over more often because you feel responsible for this person. You feel that you have to kind of feed into that because you feel that you have ownership over the situation. Instead of them saying, look, I feel really lonely. Um, Maybe I should do something about that. They turned around to saying like, you never come and see me and I'm alone. I have nobody because my children never come and see me. Notice the difference there. One is manipulation, one is not. Obviously, it's nowhere near as toxic as the last example I just gave you. But it is bait. It is bait to get you to go there. Number two, identify similar patterns of manipulation. Not just in individuals, but you want to identify patterns with people in general. So like I said, this whole where, where you know, in the, in the identify bait example, where I said often you'll see someone try and fire you up. That's a pattern across the board in a lot of toxic relationships and a lot of narcissistic relationships not all but it is a bit of a pattern now I'm not saying you should paint everyone with the same brush but it is good to start realizing if this has always happened then there's a chance that it's going to happen in the future okay so if every time I've dated someone and they've displayed these behaviors and then it's turned into something toxic then there's a chance the next person that I date who's displaying those behaviors is also toxic I'm not saying that they definitely are but I'm also not an idiot okay and I also have identified a pattern with everyone I've dated and now I'm seeing the same pattern here and it's not saying you need to leave and dump this person but it's saying I've identified it So now I'm aware. So because I'm aware, I'm less likely to instantly get emotionally involved and I'm more at an observational standpoint right now because I'm aware. Awareness is everything. And you might identify a pattern and it doesn't make a person toxic. That person might just be bringing across toxic behaviors from their last relationship, which may have been toxic, okay? And the first thing you do is A, identify. B, remove yourself from getting involved initially And C, address. If you can identify, remove yourself from getting involved in that moment and then address it, then you see how the other person responds. If that person responds really like poorly, then you can choose to keep working at it or you can choose to leave. But if that person responds being like, yeah, wow, X, Y, Z, you know, didn't realize this is how it was coming across or I think maybe I'm behaving this way because of X, Y, Z, then that's a good thing and you can discuss that. You don't have to enter a relationship with someone who's absolutely perfect on paper, but you should be entering a relationship with someone who's willing to accept constructive criticism just as you should be willing to accept constructive criticism. It should always go both ways. Number three, set boundaries around your idea of other people's opinions, okay? Another really, really effective form of manipulation is to make someone believe that if they don't do something or if they go ahead and do something, that other people are going to have a bad opinion of them. Like, oh, if you don't do that, what are people going to think? Oh, if you come out, what, am I, what, what are my friends going to think? Oh, if you, you know, all this shit. And it manipulates you into staying in this little little lane, this tight line. Just keep, keep following that little fucking footpath that you're on. Can't, like, don't deviate because I want to manipulate you into staying on that line. You don't misbehave. You don't deviate. You don't fuck with my plans. So I'm going to make you feel that if you go off that line, if you deviate, people will judge you, okay? But in reality, they're judging you. 
they don't want you to do something and they don't feel that they have enough power to say, don't go ahead and do that thing. Parents do this all the time around, oh, like I've told everyone that you're doing this and now you're changing your mind. What, what will everyone think? And then they try and make you feel even worse because they think, what will they think of me? So then you think that you're now responsible for what other people think of your parents, okay? It gets really convoluted. It's a very common, typical way that people will emotionally manipulate you by trying to embarrass you hypothetically to people that you don't even know are thinking these things that are probably aren't ever even thinking these things. It's this hypothetical scenario that they implant into your head, okay? In relationships, people do this all the time by thinking everyone's going to think you're an asshole because of blah, blah, blah. Everyone's going to think that, you know, I'm dating a this kind of person because of blah, blah, blah. I can never look at you the same. Wait till I tell so-and-so. Wait till I tell my family. Wait till I – and you then start thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God, people are going to have this image of me. They've threatened me with this, um, this bad rap that I'm going to get from other people. So then you quickly – pull yourself back into line and you think, oh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, I'll stay. No, I'll fight. No, I'll apologise or no, I'll, I won't go out and do that thing. You've been manipulated. You've been manipulated uh, by the fear of what people will think. Every time someone says, what will they think? Go, ding, a little ping goes off and say, this is manipulation, this is manipulation. And then you can answer the question and say, well, this is what they could think. It could be this, 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 this and this and I'm prepared for that. I'm prepared for that. Thank you so much for putting the idea in my head. I've addressed it. I now know what people may or may not think. Bon voyage. Number four, identify when you genuinely have ownership of a a situation and when you don't. This is going to help you feel less guilty about standing your ground. If you don't really question yourself, do I actually have responsibility here or ownership, it's really easy to slip into this emotional blackmail, this guilt of thinking, oh my God, I should, just because someone's saying you should be doing this, it doesn't mean that you should be doing it. They think you should be doing it or they think you shouldn't be doing it. But what they think and what you think are very, very different things in a lot of cases, not in every case. But someone might think you're responsible for this and you might think actually in reality, I'm not. You want me to be responsible for that thing but it's actually not my responsibility for these reasons, okay? So this is going to help you feel way less guilty about, you know, standing your ground. If you know for a fact that you are not at fault for something happening or you are not responsible for a situation going a certain way, it then becomes a lot easier to detach yourself emotionally from what's being said and what's going on and it helps you also not feel remorse for something. It doesn't mean that you don't care, But there is a difference between caring and there is a difference between taking responsibility over something that you are not responsible for, okay? You don't have to take responsibility for everything that someone says you are responsible for. You have to decide. You have to question those things and say, is this my problem? Is this my responsibility? And whether it is or isn't, should I be sitting here feeling guilty when I've done what I can or where I've done what I wanted to do? Should I feel guilty? So often people end up feeling so guilty over shit that they can't help, shit that they can't control. Like, oh, I've disappointed my parents. I know so, oh my God, I've got so many friends that have come out, they've told their parents that they're gay, but they act a certain way or they don't bring their partners over to the household or whatever because they feel bad because their parents don't accept it, okay? So they've now taken on this responsibility and guilt Because their parents haven't accepted it. And it breaks my heart. I'm like, this is not your problem. 
But like I said, when you are emotionally involved with the person, whether it's a relative or your partner, it is really hard to step away from that manipulation. And whether your parents mean to manipulate you or not is irrelevant. You have been manipulated into feeling guilty enough that you will pander to their fucking needs and to their little emotions and not bring your partner over and not, you know, be openly gay in front of your parents or your parents' friends or your grandpas or whatever. Okay? At the end of the day, you've got to do what makes you feel comfortable. But you have to understand this is not my – I don't own this. They own those emotions. I don't have to carry those emotions. They fucking do. It's their responsibility. If they want to judge, if they don't like it, that's a shame. But it's on their heads. Why is it on mine? What have I done wrong? I do not bear the responsibility of their judgments. They can enjoy or suffer whatever they want. It's on them. But it's not on me. Okay? So this is where you need to really identify. This is not my problem. Do I have control over this situation? No. Can I help the way that I am? No. Should I have to? Absolutely not. Okay? So that is where you step aside and think, not my problem. This really is not my problem. If it was your problem, you should care. But in a lot of scenarios, it's not and you've been manipulated, unfortunately. Remove the responsibility and then you remove a bit of the um, emotional attachment. Last one. This is really important. Take your time answering or giving a response especially if you're in a situation, if you're someone that really struggles to stand up for yourself, this one is key for you. Because if you're someone that you're like, no, I've I've fucking, I've got the spine, I've grown a backbone, I wasn't like this and now I am and I can give all the answers, fantastic, that's great. But if you're someone that you feel you always get manipulated, time is on your side because it removes the intensity in that moment. For example, if someone's trying to manipulate you into going somewhere with them or into doing something for them or whatever it is that it could be. Don't answer straight away. If you think it's so difficult to say no to their face, you just say, I'll let you know, okay? And the crucial and the hardest part about this is do not give any further explanations. When you feel that you are being manipulated, put time on your side, okay? If you're not sure, it doesn't matter. Put time on your side. But if you think, mm, my friend's trying to manipulate me here or my partner is or I'm, someone's trying to twist my arm to something that they know I don't want to do or they know I feel uncomfortable doing or that is not my responsibility to do, that is when you say, I will let you know. I'll get back to you on that. And if they ask, yeah, but why? Just why? Just say, I'll get back to you on that. Say it 10 times. They'll get bored. I can, I can assure you. They will get bored. If, if the only answer you give them is, I'll get back to you. Yeah, but why can't you answer now? I'll, I'll just let you know. I'll get back to you. Yeah, but what? Blah, blah, blah. I'll fucking get back to you, can't. Like you just, same sentence again and again. Who cares if they're annoyed? You've not fired up. You've not let them, you know, make you blow up and then that's your weakness. You've not, nothing. You've said, I will let you know. And then you retreat and then you get to unpack it in in your own piece. And you say, wait, was this manipulation? Maybe it wasn't. Maybe they're trying to get me and maybe I want to say no, but I felt really guilty saying no. A lot of people use um, like say they really want you to get you to go somewhere they're desperate for you to be there if they know that you're a yes person and you really struggle to say no they'll ask you to your face they won't text it to you they'll ask you to your face because they know that it's harder for you to say no in person than it is over a text okay a lot of people struggle with that so if that's the case and you're like I know they're fucking asking me to my face because they know I can't say no that's when you say, I'll let you know. And then go home and if you feel more comfortable doing it over writing as like a training course, then text them and say, I can't, just realised I'm not available. I'm going to be at home fucking 
sleeping, okay? Whatever it is, but you always get time on your side. You do not owe anyone an immediate answer for anything, okay? You can always say, I need time for this. And if someone starts pressing you for an instant answer, then that is more more reason for you to give yourself more time. Because why the urgency, mate? Why the fucking urgency? Relax and let me decide. If someone is trying to squeeze an answer out of you immediately, it's because they don't want you to consider it properly. They don't want you to give it consideration. And if they so badly don't want you to give something consideration, then that should be a little bit of food for thought. That should be like, oh, if they're they're trying to get an answer from me right now, it's because they're trying to lock me into something because I probably want to leave otherwise. And if it means that I'd want to leave, there must be some bad sides to this thing. So I'm going to take the time, I'm going to consider it, and then I'll get back to you. If you're having an argument with somebody, and it's not necessarily a yes or no answer, but they're like pressing and pressing and pressing, and you feel that it's headed down a path where you're going to get manipulated, this is where you request the timeout. And I've, I have definitely suggested this on several episodes, but the timeout is absolutely crucial, okay? You, you, you ask for the timeout. If your partner's not willing to give you that timeout, you take that timeout anyway. It's not something that they give you. It is something that you take, okay? It is yours for the taking. They don't own your time. If they then blow up and have a problem, you remove yourself from the situation, okay? When things calm down, if you can't get on the same page with your partner that timeout is crucial for you in an argument so you can regroup your thoughts, then you have to understand that the person you're with is manipulating you. That is a coercive behavior where they're trying to keep you in a, like in a pressure cooker situation. That's very unhealthy. And for someone to force or attempt to force their partner into this pressure cooker situation is extremely unhealthy and it is a coercive behavior. Okay. Uh, I feel like I need to do a whole, um, a whole podcast on coercive control because it has now become illegal in most states in Australia. Fucking weird that it wasn't already, but it is now. Um, so it's very interesting. But I will do a whole episode on that some other time. So those are the five points. Just to recap those five points, like really drill it into yourself if you're someone that normally gets manipulated. Number one, identify the bait. Can you see some sort of a pattern in that bait? Number two, identify similar patterns of manipulation across people, um, not just through the one person that's always manipulating you. Number three, set boundaries around um, other people's opinion of you and realize that that's not your business and that's not your responsibility. Number three, identify when you have ownership. Sorry, number four, identify when you have ownership of the situation and when you don't. And number five, take your time giving an answer or take the time out when you need it. It's your time to take, okay? Full stop. It's your time. You own your time. This is your life. They've got their life. They can do what they want with their time. This is your time. So you take it, okay? Beautiful. Guys, thank you so much for listening today. I adore you. Adore you all. Um, that is all. That is all for today's episode. There will be a pep talk released tomorrow, Saturday morning. Gorgeous pep talk. Um, that is all. Love you guys so much. Thanks for putting up with my slightly nasally Um, sounding voice today. As always, remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Don't care.